The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network. Oh, yes, we're in a battle, but we don't fight the way the world fights. We have different weapons, spiritual weapons, better weapons. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us today on The Line of Fire. This is Michael Brown. Delighted to be with you. We've got a special guest who will join us at the bottom of the hour, I believe, with some words of encouragement and blessing for the body, words that will help you. I've got a lot of ground to cover, and as always, I, I want to navigate through a bit of a controversial minefield, a challenging issue, and that is the intersection that we've spoken about many times of the gospel and politics of our calling to serve the Lord and be salt and light in this world, to what extent does that interact with culture, with politics? An important issue, obviously a critically important issue. And I'm going to say a few things that may be controversial, but not for controversy's sake. I believe you found them helpful. Here's a number to call to interact with this or other subjects, 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348. 7884. That's the number to call. Okay. Let me start here, and we're going to read some scripture. Would you agree that when you read the scriptures, when you read the words of Jesus, when you read the letters of Paul, when you read God's commands to us in terms of how we are to live and conduct ourselves in this world, that that spirit that's laid out there, the conduct, lifestyle, witness, attitude, that that is different from a political spirit, meaning the the campaigning, nasty, angry, attack mode type of thing. I think we all agree those are very different, right? If if you're preaching from the pulpit, and and or you you're doing a home Bible study with your family, it's like, how does God want us to live? What character qualities should we have? How can we love God? How can we love our neighbor? That would be one thing. If someone's saying how to run an effective political campaign in this dog-eat-dog world. Well, that's going to come out very different. Nasty ads, all kinds of provocative stuff. Now, in the same way, if my goal on radio, on internet, on TV, if my goal was prim- primarily to be a political commentator, say a right-wing conservative political commentator, if that was my goal, not to be a, a voice of scripture, a voice of biblical reason, uh, a, a voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. If instead my goal was to be a right-wing political commentator, I'd be nasty. I'd be throwing around insults. I'd be using cheap nicknames for people. Now, now listen, those that do that, and that's who they are, that's between them and God. I'm not sitting here like, well, I would never do that. I'm simply saying that's who they are. They have a particular audience. Same on the left. There's going to be the insult, the attack, the, the provocative type of comments, and going to get you angry. Stir it up. and I want to do something about that. Would you agree with me? If, if you go to a partisan news website, which is just about all of them, right? I mean, everybody's got such a strong perspective that bleeds through the news. But if you go there 
if you go to a, a partisan website and start reading the headlines, no matter what side you're on, your blood's going to start boiling. You're going to get angry. What's happening? It's a side. It's bad. It's evil. It's wrong. Would you agree with that? Okay. My goal is not to provoke you in that way. My goal, if I talk about things happening in the news, I'm going to play a clip from Don Lemon a little later in the show that I'm going to interact with. My goal is not to get you hating Don Lemon and bashing Don Lemon and calling him names. That's, that's not why I'm here. So it's a challenging thing, friends, and I'm just being totally candid with you, to constantly interact with political and cultural issues, which is part of my calling. I'm not simply a Bible teacher on the radio. I don't need to just be doing that because there are so many fine Bible teachers on radio, on internet, and podcast, and TV. Plus, we've got an abundance of materials where I'm just teaching the Word. I do that all the time. I teach and preach all the time. But when I'm here with you on the line of fire, when I'm writing op-ed pieces, that's not my primary role just to be a Bible teacher, rather to take the Word of God and our walk with God and say, now, how do we live this out? How do we live this out in the school world? How do we live this out in, in, in our family, in our community, in our workplace? How do we live this out in the local church interfacing with the world around us? How do we sort this through with elections and media and social media and all that? That's why I'm here, to serve as your voice of moral sanity and spiritual clarity in the midst of a society in chaos and, and a, a church all too often in compromise. And that's why you've tuned in, right? So, of course, we'll get into the Word. We'll, we'll use scriptural principles. We'll talk about all these things. And different days, we may just take calls, and all the calls are theology-related. That's perfectly fine. But the challenge, the challenge, especially on social media, friends, is to, to post controversial issues, provocative issues, to say, okay, please read what I wrote about this, and then weigh in and comment without giving place to a, a carnal spirit, without giving place to all the anger. And, and You know what I'm talking about? Is this making sense? All right, so I understand right now that there are grave, grave concerns in terms of where the Democrats may be taking America. For good reason, there are grave concerns. If the Equality Act and H.R. 1 were to pass, it, it would massively change who we are massively attack our rights if you added in, say, you know, D.C. statehood, so the Electoral College has yet another shift, and, and then if you have a flood of immigrants coming into the country illegally, and then first-generation voting Democrat, and you could have a shift that's very difficult to recover from in ways where it's, it's almost set in a way that it, it would take a, a landslide of change in America to, to overcome it. There are real reasons for concern, which is a reason that I voted Republican versus Democrat. At the same time, our primary battle is not a political battle. Here, in short, this is what I believe happened. I've prayed much about this. I've reflected much about this. I've listened. All right. My perspective is a very, very simple one. Always try to boil things down, make them as simple as I can make them. Here's my perspective. That... We saw the grave issues that we were facing as a country. We saw the way that the radical left wants to go. When I say we, I mean conservative followers of Jesus of all color and background. We saw the way that the radical left wanted to go. We saw the radicalizing of the Democratic Party. And we saw there were real issues and, and things we needed to vote about. 
But then we got caught up in politics. We got caught up in the political spirit. We, we became part of the political spirit, taking on the anger and the hatred and the lashing out and the attacking and the demonizing of one another. So rather than recognizing our first method of, uh, of battle is not in the polling place, not, not voting, our first method of battle is on our knees and repenting of our sin and seeking God in prayer. It's not either or. It's not either or. It's both and. But it's a matter of priorities, a matter of priorities that we put the spiritual second. We put the Great Commission second. We put revival second. We put gospel-based transformation second. And we put almost everything, oh, especially white evangelicals, everything into these elections have to go a certain way. And if Trump is out, it's over. That's where things got off. And I said, this is someone who voted for Trump twice. That's where things got off. Emphasis. And and maybe as I'm speaking to you, as things have calmed down a little post-elections, and and we're starting to get on with a little bit more normal life in that regard, maybe you realize, well, I I did get caught up. I did get caught up. My emotions got caught up. Rather than get mad at me. Well, what do you just hate Trump? I, I wouldn't have voted for Trump twice if I hated him. That's not the issue. Well, you're a sold-out, liberal, communist, flaming left, deep state. Please. Yeah, and I also masquerade as Santa Claus on weekends. Let's be realistic, okay? Can you see perhaps that you got caught up in a wrong spirit? Can you see perhaps that you thought political change is so crucial? And I understand the issues are very crucial. Abortion issues and religious liberties and other Very, very crucial issues. Fully understand. Middle East Israel, China, Iran, big things. But can you see perhaps that what the political organizations do, say the Family Research Council, they do this and they tell us, okay, here's our recommendations in terms of voting, that we just got caught up as if we were all that, as opposed to saying, hey, we're believers in local cities, local churches. And maybe because of COVID, we didn't have the outlet normally to just be about friends and family and, and, and worship and, and outreach in our community. So it just locked us in more to social media. Now's the time to just step back. All right, let's, let's regain our priorities. We don't abandon voting. We don't abandon telling our congressmen how to vote. We, we don't abandon these things. And in fact, you know, pro-life, we should be involved with that. Grassroots, that's even more effective than voting in our local communities. Let's let's go back to the fact that we have supernatural weapons. We have supernatural weapons nobody else has. Nobody. No power on earth has these except God's people. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 3. It's Paul saying, you know, the Corinthians, he's he's not the big superstar, megastar apostle. You know, they kind of despise him. He was this Paul guy. And he says, though we walk in the flesh not meaning flesh, carnal, sin flesh, but this world. Though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not, excuse me, I said that. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to pure, punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. So he's talking here about a spiritual authority in ministering to the Corinthians, the spiritual authority that he has as an apostle. 
and and he's saying, listen, it is a spiritual authority. It's not based on how tall I am, how strong I am, how much money I have, how much political backing I have, how much human charisma I have. No, it is a spiritual authority. And ultimately, friends, the greatest weapon, the most powerful weapon on the planet is the power of prayer, is the weapon of prayer, is us getting down on our knees alone or with other believers, humbling ourselves before God and crying out to Almighty God to move. It's not either prayer or action, but there is no action that is greater than the action of prayer. Let's recover this. Let's realize we overcome evil not by becoming evil, but by doing good. We bless those who curse us. We pray for those who despitefully use us. We have different weapons. We'll be right back. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. You know, Chris, you asked a question on Facebook, and when prayer doesn't even work, who then do I turn to? Chris, that's when you turn to God all the more. With all seriousness, that's where you press into God because He is true. He is faithful. And if we pray according to His will and, and seek Him according to His will, he will reveal himself. You may have to shut down everything else you're doing for a while aside from essential work and responsibilities and seek God, but he will come through. He may take you through the fire. He may take you around the fire. He may let you grow in the fire, but he will take you through. I have a book coming out in May. It can be ordered now, but I'd recommend just wait till we can share more about it. Has God failed you? Finding faith when you're not even sure God is real. Uh, yeah, there can be tremendous trials of faith, difficult times. But let me encourage you, Chris, read Luke 18, the opening verses there, the parable of the unjust judge. And notice that Jesus gives a parable to tell his people to pray always and not faint, not cave in. In other words, we're going to be tempted to cave in. It's going to feel like there is no hope. But what I'm saying, my brothers and sisters, is that we got caught up in politics and a political spirit to the detriment of our own souls. And we put too much trust in the political system and too much focus on the political, political system. Let us put our focus on God and his kingdom intersecting with this world. It cuts right through America, it cuts right through Republican, Democrat parties, even though I lean with one platform versus another. My allegiance is to the kingdom of God. And my desire is not just God Bless America, but God, change America. Your kingdom come to America. You know, I've been outside the United States about 200 trips, so I have a certain perspective. I've spent a total of a few years of my life outside of America, and we have so many friends and colleagues working all around the world. It gives you perspective in terms of God's heart for the whole world. And America plays a role, but America is just another nation. So let us first get the Jesus Great Commission spirit, attitude, love God, love our neighbor, be disciples, make disciples. And then political issues, they factor in, but way down the list of what should consume our emotions, our heart, our priorities, our time. That's what I want to submit to you, with love, with love. Ephesians chapter 6. Let me read this to you, then we're going to the phones. Ephesians chapter 6, Paul writes this, beginning verse 10. Finally, 
Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. I'm weak. Yeah, yeah. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. I don't have much strength. Yeah, yeah. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Look, if it was financial, right, and I was a billionaire, and I said, hey, you just, no, you go ahead on the center I, I, I got you. I got you covered here. You, you, you use my account. God's saying use his spiritual account. Put on the whole armor of God. Metaphorically, this is the armor God wears himself. So spiritually, we put this on. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. There's a real battle, a real devil, real attack. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So our primary battle is not with people, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's where our great battle is. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes for your feet, having put the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and application. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me and open my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains and I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. That's where we fight with different weapons. That's where we are clothed with God's armor. That's where if we rely on those things first and foremost, and then with that, doing good, helping those around us, with that, living godly lives as families, with that, serving our communities, with that, preaching the gospel boldly without fear, with that, standing for what's right in our schools, in our neighborhoods, in our places of business, with that, voting. Right? So that's, that's, that's in there, but voting's not the same level as preaching the gospel or praying. Let's not ever put them on that same level, ever. It's a mistake. It's a mistake. Both and, not either or. Both and. All right, let's, uh, let's take some calls, 866-34-TRUTH. We go to Kathy in Toronto. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Oh, hi, Michael Brown. Hey. Uh, hey, I just have, like, a question. I, I worry I committed an unpardonable sin. Like, I don't know why, but, like, these, um, like, the past 10 days, I've been having these intrusive thoughts, and I, I think I called God's sake, and I don't mean or believe it, and I... I say that to the Holy Spirit. I don't mean it. I just have these intrusive thoughts, and then I think like, sometimes I say of compassion. I worry I, I like commit unpardonable sin against God. Like, I believe God is God, and He's not Satan. He's the opposite. But I just sometimes I say it to God. I don't know if I do it willingly or not. But uh, all right. Like, well, let, let's let's help sort that out. All right, Kathy. Just to put your your heart and mind at ease. Hey, when did you come to, to know Jesus for yourself, to, to say that you had a personal relationship with the Lord? Well, I well, committed my, um, well, I did it when I was like a child, and I, like, then I've been like away, and it just like us, like us 10 days, I recommitted myself to God. Okay. Well, good. Well, listen, welcome back. That's the first thing. I want to encourage you to look at the end of James, the last two verses of James, the fifth chapter. Just go to the end of that book. It says, if we can help a sinner turn back, or help a, a brother that's, that's strayed turn back, that, that a, a multitude of sins will be covered. So 
when God forgives, uh, Luke 15 is another important passage. He forgives and wipes the slate, the slate clean and gives you a brand new start. Uh, let me ask you this. The, the, the way that you understand God to be, the type of being that he is, the, the nature of the Father, do you think that, that if someone is sincerely trying to follow him but struggling in their thought life, that God will destroy that person forever and say there's never any hope for you, banished forever. Do you think that's the kind of God that he is? No, but I just like keep reading. Like Anyone who speaks the word against the Son of Man is forgiven, but the one who banishes against the Holy Spirit is, you know, like he's yeah. damned. All right, so, so if you look down, what's, if you look in Mark 3, where that, that passage also occurs, do you know why Jesus was talking about that? He was talking about it because he was driving demons out of people by the Holy Spirit. And the religious leaders who knew better, rather than humbling themselves and listening to him and, and saying, hey, you're, you're right, we, we need to follow you. Instead, they willfully and knowingly attributed the works of the Spirit to demons. They were saying, he has a demon. Jesus is demon-possessed. That's the unforgivable sin. It's it's not to to oh, I had a bad thought or oh I think I, I thought something ugly about God oh, or I wish, yeah sorry I wish I said it too far like even though I didn't believe it I just said of compulsion or something I I don't know I, I no said the, too no the, <laughs> have you willfully knowingly attributed the work of the Holy Spirit through Jesus to demons? No. No, of course not. You, you, that's what the unpardonable sin is. In, in other words, your heart has to be hardened on a certain level. You have to have crossed a certain line to get to that point of hardness. Otherwise, God forgives. He's merciful. He forgives us all the time. So be assured that God wants to shower you with his love as you've come back to him and, and affirm you as his daughter. And especially that I'd encourage you, Kathy, to, to really read through Luke, the 15th chapter. Read it through over and over and over again. That's God's heart towards you. And don't be troubled over this. The devil will try to accuse you, and if you have a sensitive conscience, you'll try to accuse yourself, all right? But God wants you to set your heart on what Jesus did on the cross and the sins that he paid for and the Father's desire to, to have you back and be in fellowship with you. And as you do that, then when you realize, well, I shouldn't be doing this or that, then he shows you, you, you address it, and you move forward. That's, that's the proper way that things work. Lord, I just pray for Kathy. Give her deep assurance. Remove these troubling thoughts, Lord, because she has not committed the unpardonable sin. Far from it. Bring blessing and grace to her heart in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thank you, Kathy, for the call. Um, I tell you what. I have limited time before the break, so David Franco, if you could hang on, we'll try to get your calls a little later in the broadcast. Otherwise, tomorrow, Friday, always good days to call. And for those that struggle and think, you know, I, God will never have me back. I, I think I'm, I'm Hebrews 6. I mentioned that I knew the Lord and I turned away and he'll never have me back. Remember, the testimony of almost the whole Bible is God calls backsliders home, welcomes them back. The, the whole history of Israel, welcome back, turn back, turn back and repent. And, and Jesus tells us that if, if our brother sins against us 490 times in a day, right? 70 times seven. 
and says, hey, forgive me, I'm sorry. Forgive him. How much more does God forgive us? So Hebrews 6, the best way to understand that is someone who's gone back into Judaism and is rejecting Jesus. No, there is no sacrifice of sins for them as long as they are in that state of crucifying him afresh by rejecting him. That's the context there. Everything through the word is saying, turn back and God will welcome you back. Don't stay away condemned. I know this is for someone listening. Don't stay. I've committed too many. It's too late. No, no. That's the voice of the devil or the voice of your own mind. God says, turn back to me and I'll turn back to you. God will abundantly pardon. He delights in showing mercy. We'll be right back with Alan Wright to talk about his new book. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. You know, we get requests all the time from from authors, publishers, hey, can you have this guest on, that guest on? And we we don't have a lot of guests on because we're jealous for our radio time and there's so much we want to cover and give time for our callers to call in. But when I see something I think will, will be of value to you and edifying and a blessing, we say, yeah, let's go ahead and do it. In this case, Pastor Alan Wright, pastor I've gotten to to know different contexts and settings. He pastors in North Carolina, but he's on hundreds of radio stations with his daily radio broadcast. And, and he has a brand new book, The Power to Bless. And I thought it'd be good to take a few minutes to talk about it together. Hey, Alan, how you doing these days? Oh, I'm doing good. Dr. Brown, it's good to uh, good to see you. I hadn't seen you in a while. And uh, thank you for having me on the show, uh, especially in the context of of the spiritual battle that we're facing and how we've got some different tools in the world. Uh, sure, an honor to be with you. Yeah, thrilled to be with you. And, and when I was thinking about which way I wanted to go on the show today, I thought, perfect, let's, let's tie it in with, with your book. Why is it so important today, of all times, that we as God's people understand what it is to speak life and to bless? You know, I think that as you've been as you've been describing in today's show, um, we're we're trying to fight the battle with the wrong tools, the wrong weapon, and this is something that is just unequivocal in the Scripture. It is what I really would say: the power to bless is a fundamental that maybe not quite on the order of prayer, but it's that fundamental. It's a golden thread that runs all the way through God's Word, starting with the very first thing God did with humanity was to bless Adam and Eve and then say, be fruitful and multiply. So we think about in today's world, and both at our individual level, how do we raise our kids? How do we help one another grow and flourish? What do you do with a wayward child? How do you interact with someone you'd like to see them change? But how do you do it without shaming them? How do you do it without resorting to the wrong tool? How do we do this? Well, the, the key, the secret to this is the power of blessing. And, and we don't know that much about this in the body of Christ. Uh, it's, it's strange to me that I go and speak about the power of blessing, and people say, well, let's talk, what do you mean by blessing? And I think, yeah, we need to understand that, but isn't that fascinating? Because we would never say that about prayer or Scripture reading. I mean, we understand these things, and yet here's a fundamental. 
It is essentially to say we can partner with God for transformation, but it must be God's way. And so when we bless, we're never endorsing someone's lifestyle that may be in sin. We're never endorsing someone's waywardness. Instead, we're speaking life into a place where there would be otherwise death. So every word out of our mouth is like a seed, and it's either sowing life or death. That's how the Bible looks at our words. And this mystery, really a, a mystical impartation that takes place when we bless, is really what I have found over the last 30 yeah. years to be the most powerful weapon of all. Yeah, so, so I, I want to pursue that mystical impartation aspect. Some years back, uh, I, I wrote a series of articles for a five-volume theological dictionary, exegetical theological dictionary of the Old Testament. I wrote a number of the articles. And the biggest one that I wrote was on the Hebrew word for bless. And it was an eye-opener for me when I saw the, the, the power of it, that there, when God spoke a blessing, the power of it, or when the patriarch spoke blessing, you know, the, the battle to get the blessing. So we've, we've all had it with the empty words, you know, just a positive confession. I'm just going to speak reality and it's going to happen. And yet there is a truth that when we are, as God's representatives, speaking his words, speaking by his spirit, there is this mystical impartation. So expand on this and, and maybe just give me an example, a real life example of what this looks like. Okay, so when I began to really understand blessing, and it, and it was thankfully early in my marriage and before I had kids, so I was able to raise our kids in this, make it the fundamental way that I interact with parishioners, the primary way of proclamation is laced with blessing. This partly began for me when, like what you're saying, Dr. Brown, when you look at the concept biblically, it takes your breath away. Because stories like the intriguing story of Jacob and Esau, who come uh, into the narrative in this battle between these two twins. And it's a struggle because Jacob wants the blessing, but he's the secondborn, and the firstborn gets all the attention, the double inheritance, and a very special blessing is going to be spoken by Isaac. And the dying father wrongly blesses Jacob, who's pretending to be Esau. Not one shred of fairness in this story, right? And, and, and if, if look at it through Western eyes, and you see Isaac blesses the wrong kid, when Esau comes in and says, where's my blessing? In the West, we might just say, well, uh, no big deal. Bless the wrong one. Let me just uh, repeat the blessing to you. And that's not what the text says. Mm -hmm. The text says that he, Isaac, when he discovered he blessed the wrong son, he trembled violently, and he said, I have blessed him, and indeed he will be blessed. And when I first really began to wrap my mind around that, that there is something that's imparted here. There's something that's of irrevocable power. And so, you know, I was just thinking, I was listening to you talking about spiritual warfare, and I was thinking about the instance of a beautiful, wonderful uh, teenage girl in our church some years ago, I'll call her Susan, who came under such depression and really demonic oppression that it came to a point that she couldn't even eat anymore, and she wouldn't speak to anyone, and she was hospitalized, and she was catatonic. And a tube was keeping her alive, and I went to the hospital to see her. Security guards in the room. She hasn't spoken to a psychiatrist, a doctor, or anyone. And as I'm walking in, I'm thinking, Lord, what do I do? And the Spirit's just like, just bless her. And I walk in, I said, I've come to bless you in the name of the living God. You are a child of God. And it's like I was, Michael, I'm like 
looking beyond the natural and, and speaking to her spirit, speaking to her, speaking life right in. Now, you know, people might think, well, that just sounds strange. What are, but I really just through the eyes of faith, I began to speak. And for the first time in, in nearly a week, she turned, she said, in the name of the living God. And it mm. began a year-long process with her of healing and deliverance and transformation, but it came by the speaking of identity statements and blessing over and over and over. I think the thing that's so important to realize is that we get lost into thinking that if we withhold the blessing, we're going to motivate change. Well, really, that's just a form of shame. It's not God's way. The way of hell is to religiously dangle rewards as some means to make you think you can merit God's love. But what God does, he doesn't withhold the blessing. He blesses, and then he says, be fruitful and multiply. So the blessing has this, this beautiful quality of helping release God-given destiny. It forms our identity, and we live out of our identity. And so we'll never, ever help someone who is heading in the wrong direction by just cursing them and telling them more and more about how wrong everything is in their life. Instead, we have to learn how to paint a picture partnering with God about what can be in their lives. Mm. I, I mean, so much in our culture, it, it goes in the opposite direction of that. And so much of the news that we, we take in, as I was saying earlier in the show, goes in the opposite direction, just produces anger and the demonizing of our opponents where when we have the attitude of blessing, we're supposed to be the ones bringing life. Instead, we often make things darker. If we can understand this, it's, it is so life-giving. And you, you know what's interesting? I remember when, when you were going on the air and expanding your broadcast, which is now on, on 400 stations, amazingly. Obviously, life is being imparted. I, I checked on Amazon to see your book just came out a few weeks back. Uh, 97% of the ratings are five star and and the others are four star in other words life is being imparted by your words and people are drawn to life and they'll be drawn to us i mean the sinners were drawn to jesus even though he's telling them to repent so in in the book and friends get the book the power to bless and and give the book out to some friends get some extra copies because this is the kind of book especially with covid with the fears, with, with the crisis of election, with so much shaking in the country. People, people need blessing. These are not empty words. These are God-filled words. But, but take a couple minutes and talk about in our own lives th- that we can be so negative and hateful and down on ourselves that, that we don't even understand how to bring blessing into our own lives. Can this be applied to me personally and not just to others? It is, it is intensely personal. We are blessed to be a blessing, which means that the first thing is to really look at God's Word through the lens. The, the whole narrative of Scripture really is, will God's people believe themselves blessed? Will, will Abraham believe himself blessed to, to be a father of a nation? Will the people believe that the promised land is theirs, or will they feel like grasshoppers? Will the people of God ever come to a place where they can understand what Paul says. You're blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So this is a narrative. It's running through. And so I think that blessing others starts with receiving blessing. You know, I, I grew up, and I'm sure many of our listeners right now, just I didn't grow up under the sound of blessing. My dad left home when I was in fourth grade. His, his struggle was with alcohol. 
He was in that generation where dads didn't readily tell their kids they were proud of them. And I just think back over how much I craved and yearned just for him to look in my life and say, I see these virtues, and I believe it's going to release you into a wonderful destiny. Here's what I see God doing in your life. That sort of, 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 of sound of blessing that comes from outside of us is the thing we're missing so much. And people are craving, and that's why people keep writing me and say, I'm reading the opening chapter of your book, and i got to stop because I'm weeping. It's mm-hmm. because it touches this dry place within us, the soul of a nation that's crying out, Daddy, where's my blessing? Where is it? And it doesn't help any, does it, Michael, that we've come into the spirit of an age that says all you need to do is look inside yourself and follow your inner guide, and don't let anybody tell you who you're supposed to be. What, this, this spirit of the age of all those lies is making us think that we, we don't need a voice of affirmation from outside ourselves, and we desperately do. We yeah. just need it to be a godly voice, a voice that is in sync with what God has to say about us. And it's intensely personal. And you know the other thing? It's just really not that difficult. The, the, these, the, the weapons we have in our warfare, they're not for the spiritually elite and the, and the prophets and the priests of all. This mm. is just for all of us. Mm. for all of us. Yeah. You know, I was just, I, I think... You know what, I, I, I just, I got to jump in. We, we've got to continue this, this conversation another day. I, I think it's really important we do it. We'll, we'll set aside time, maybe just unfold this over a whole broadcast. So I, I want to reach out and do that. And friends, I don't make a dime telling you to get these books. These, you get them wherever you get them. The Power to Bless, it's by Alan Wright, W-R-I-G-H-T. My brother, we'll reach out to you, and we will continue this conversation. Fair enough? I will look forward to it, and God bless you, my friend. All right. God bless. Thanks. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into the line of fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks for joining us on the line of fire. Yeah, I really do want to finish that conversation, take it deeper with Pastor Alan Wright. Absolutely. And it's, it's just so important. The, it's not just speaking empty words I say you are a millionaire. I say you are amazing. I No, it, it is getting God's heart and mind, being in harmony with his word, and then speaking his life-giving truth. It's, it's, it is life transformative. And um, anyway, <clears throat> more on that another day. <clears throat> so the Vatican has officially said that their priests, their leaders, cannot pronounce blessings on same-sex unions. Of course, that should have been self-evident forever, but it's come up as an issue. Even the Pope has said, yes, that is our official position. So in response to that, CNN's Don Lemon, who is obviously himself not a Christian leader or minister, but is a TV journalist and himself openly, proudly gay, listen to what he had to say. Listen, I respect people's right to believe in whatever they want to believe in their God. But if you believe in something that hurts another person that, or that does not give someone the same rights or freedoms, not necessarily under the Constitution, because this is under God, 
Uh, I, I think that that's wrong. And I think that the, the Catholic Church and many other churches really need to reexamine themselves and their teachings because that is not what God is about. God is not about hindering people or even judging people. And to put it in the context of race, I find that, uh, you know, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said the most segregated per- place on earth, uh, time on earth, was 11 a.m. on a Sunday morning. So I think that religion and the pew keeps us from actually, there are barriers from people actually getting to know each other. So I would say to the Pope and the Vatican and all Christians or Catholics or whomever, whatever religion you believe out, you, you happen to belong to out there, go out and meet people and try to understand people and do what the Bible and what, what Jesus actually said if you believe in Jesus, and that is to love your fellow man and judge not lest ye be not judged. Uh, of course, Don Lemon has no spiritual authority in, in what he's saying, but I want to reach out to, to Don Lemon as a fellow human being and say, here's what I encourage you to do, sir. Really get to know God. Really get to know the God of the Bible. Really get to know what Jesus is about, even if it means radical, dramatic change in your own life. Now, as to Dr. King's quote about, about segregated services, we'll come to that. In fact, we'll play his actual clip and come to that in a moment. But here's here's what I'd like to say to Don Lemon or to those who agree with Don Lemon. The idea that God is not about hindering people. It's about hindering people from sin. Do we agree on the Ten Commandments as something that God spoke? Do we agree he starts by saying, don't worship idols? Isn't that hindering someone? Isn't that telling someone, if you want to be in right relationship with me, you cannot do that? What about don't commit adultery? What about don't murder? What about don't steal? Are not those all things designed to hinder people from doing bad? The idea that God doesn't put limits on just whatever you want to do, we all agree that's not right. Every one of, every human being agrees there should be limits on what others do, and we just simply believe that God's limits are best. When God says don't commit adultery, yes, he's, he wants to hinder a married man or a woman from having a relationship with another married man or woman. Why? Because it is ultimately destructive and contrary to his will and contrary to what is best for us. Boundaries are good things that God puts in place. As for hurting someone, we can hurt someone by being malicious and nasty. But God's ways are ways of life. When he says, turn away from this, even if it hurts my feelings, it's for good. When, he, when a parent tells children certain things, there are reasons for it. Do you think that children, four-year-old kid, understands every reason that mom and dad say no? But the fact is, mom and dad know better than the four-year-old. And the distance between God and us is a whole lot bigger than the distance between a four-year-old and a mom and dad. And for those who say, no, we're talking about love. Forget your examples. We're talking about love. And love is love. And you have the right to be with the one you love. Well, would you say that it's fine then for two adult brothers who love each other? There are examples of these kinds of things. So they can't even reproduce and therefore have children that could potentially be harmed by incestuous relationship and have some type of birth defect. Two brothers, should they not be allowed to have a relationship? Are the laws against incest necessary? Should they not have their love recognized by marriage? And what if it's three or four, the the thruple, the, the three men that have legally gotten their names on the birth certificate for their daughter? Shouldn't we just embrace it? Are there any limits that we should put on love? Most 
people of conscience, those people who have a, an understanding of societal well-being would say, yeah, we put limits. Don, please understand the limits that God puts, the, the, the prohibition of a man being with a man or a woman being with a woman, it is ultimately for the good of the human race. But we have to get low. What do I know? What do you know? What matters is what God says and who he is. Read the word through fresh eyes. Don, if you've not read through the entire Bible cover to cover, even the New Testament cover to cover, just say, God, give me eyes to see the truth here. In fact, I'll pray a Hebrew prayer for you from Psalm 119. Open my eyes that I may behold wonders from your law, from your teaching. If you do that, sir, and you humble yourself before God, your life will be changed. What about Martin Luther King? Can we apply his quote to issues having to do with sexuality? Let's listen to what he said. I think it is one of the tragedies of our nation, one of the shameful tragedies, that 11 o'clock on Sunday morning is one of the most segregated hours, if not the most segregated hours in Christian America. Uh, I definitely think the Christian church should be integrated, and any church that uh, stands against integration and that has a segregated body is standing against the spirit and the teachings of Jesus Christ and it fails to be a true witness. Uh, but this is something that the church will have to do itself. I don't think church integration will come through uh, legal processes. I might say that my church is not a segregating church. It's segregated, but not segregating. It would welcome white members. Yeah, so nothing whatsoever to do with sexuality. And by the way, Martin Luther King's own statements on homosexuality would reflect standard Christian beliefs on that just for the record. But in point of fact, nothing that he said relates in any way to Don Lemon's point. And, and here, skin color. Skin color is different than sexual desire, romantic attraction. Skin color, if you're white, if you're black, if you're yellow, if you're red, there is no behavior associated with that. There is no morality associated with that. There, there, there is nothing in terms of one's behavior associated with that sexually, romantically, or anything else. So you cannot make the comparison in any case. Let's pray for Don Lemon. Rather than lash out and mock, and let's pray for him to really come to know God. That's my prayer. Really come to know him and find repentance and new life. All right, let's, uh, let's grab one more call. David in Manitoba, Canada, thanks for, for holding. If you could dive right in with your question, we'll try to answer. Are you there? Hi, Dr. Brown? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, hi, it's Dave. I called a little, about a month ago, I guess, regarding the height of Neb's statue being 666 years tall. I don't know if you recall that. Right, right. Well, what it is, it's, it's 60 cubits, so it'd be 90 feet tall and 6 cubits wide, 9 feet wide, so 90 by 9. No, but what I mean is Babylon is... Um, yeah, from Babylon all the way to Rome is 666 years. Yeah, and I had, right, I, I said I hadn't thought about those specific things and didn't, didn't see that as inherent in the text within Daniel when we talked. Okay, um, but I, I seem to have more uh, information here a little bit, or I think, anyway, I took 666 years, and I went back another 666 years, and that's the time of the kings and judges. And then I went back another 666 years, and I landed right on Abraham. 
So I guess what I have is three times six hundred and sixty-six years, which is all right. So, uh, so where's your where's your starting point for your six 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 going backwards? Just give me your date again. Okay, so I, I basically, I've got one of these books that have a timeline, right? And uh, you know, I just cut back like six hundred and sixty-six years three times, and I, I right, right. No, but uh, but what what date are you starting at going backwards? Uh, I don't have the dates to be quite honest. I, I'd have to look at my book. I got it right but, because right. I, I would first thing if if you go back. I don't know where you're going back. Are you saying from the rise of the Babylonian Empire to the fall of the Babylonian Empire to to what period of time? Where where, where is that first date? Even if you don't remember the number, where's that first date coming from? Okay, from 70 A.D. I believe the end of the age was at 70 A.D. Okay, right. And well, right. So working sorry, back. The, okay, got it. Right. So. The end of the age hasn't happened yet. That's the first thing. The end of the age hasn't happened yet. But if you work back 666 years from that, right, so you get to, to five, not, 596 B.C., so that's in the midst. That's not a, a sacred date in the Babylonian Empire. That's like the date. So the first thing, that doesn't work. You bump it back 666 years from that. You just get in the middle of time of the judges. Nothing significant there whatsoever. Zero. Just something in the middle of a bunch of stuff going on. And then 666 years back from there is probably too early for Abraham uh, or certainly not any significant point in, in, his, in his life or too, too late, I should say, for Abraham. So I, I, I would drop the line of pursuit. As, as interesting as it may be to you, sir, with all respect, I would drop that line of pursuit in terms of finding something special or unique with it. And I say that with all respect to someone who's always digging and always learning from Scripture. Hey, thank you, sir for the call. All right, friends, Thoroughly Jewish Thursday coming tomorrow. Make sure you get our emails. If you don't, ask Dr. Brown, askdrbrown.org. Be sure you go there, check out the emails, check out what we can send out and bless you with. Another program powered by the Truth Network.